Okay, we are gonna get going. So if you guys want to have a seat, just by the door there. If you missed it, um, the notes for this class are just on the little round table there. So if you need notes, you can grab them. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the community of your church. We thank you, God, that it is a clean, beautiful, blood-purchased community that you would seek to make spotless in practical reality, God. And so we pray that you would um, use this time together, learning from things that are true from your word, to establish that among us, God. Establish a... Um, just a deep, genuine care for one another and help us know how to do that. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are going through the book Caring for One Another by Ed Welch. It's in the church library if you weren't here last time, though I think most of you were. And last time we covered um, chapter one with all humility, just how to approach people with humility, asking them for prayer, not always needing to be the hero. Um, we covered some things like that. I have some wrap-up thoughts from last time that I didn't really get a chance to say that I kind of realized after the fact. And then, so before we get into today's lessons, um, I want to clarify some things. So I want to touch on the wisdom of asking for prayer. So there's obviously when you're asking others for prayer, um, wisdom that you need to have. Like, there's situations that would just be inappropriate in any context. So if I'm having a, say I'm having a difficult marriage week in Carson and I can't figure something out, I'm not going to ask a single woman my age to pray for the specifics of that. And that's not because, you know, she's not good enough to pray for me. That's just because that's contextually inappropriate. That's, um, it's just socially inappropriate. So, but within the wisdom of what is socially appropriate... I do want to clarify, and I think this came through a bit, but I really want to make it obvious that asking people for prayer, approaching people in humility, being um, needy, not, you know, culturally needy, but gospel needy, that has to be worked out, like, in front of people. And I don't mean, like, you have to ask for prayer on the stage Sunday morning. I just mean you have to, for this to work, for us to get to where this book's vision is, we need to ask, like, a diverse enough people of group for prayer and reach out to them and be needy to them uh, to a diverse enough group of people who we otherwise wouldn't for this to get the ball rolling. Because if, if asking for prayer and being humble and needy, like if your takeaway from last class was, oh, I didn't realize I need prayer, so now I'll go seek out someone way wiser than me only and just ask for prayer for them once a week in their office. Like that's really good. Have mentors, do those things. But for this to work itself out, we need to be comfortable just being needy to just any congregant, like anybody and the reason that is, like, like, think of why would we need to do this, like, quote-unquote, in front of people? So if we expect the more needy people in our congregate, well, we're all needy, even if we don't know it. But if we expect the more seemingly needy people in our congregation to be vulnerable and open and ask for prayer and things like that, but they don't ever see us doing it, but they don't ever see other people doing it, like, what does that communicate to them? Like, it, it communicates... One, it communicates that if they ask for prayer, that that's an admission of defeat, that they're, uh, that they're um, a lowercase c Christian, they're a second-rate Christian because, well, I don't see anybody else needing prayer. And of course, that's not what we're explicitly saying or even what we mean to communicate, but that is what people will think if they don't see anybody else asking for prayer, if that precedent isn't there. The second thing is, 
if we expect them to do that, and if we expect them to be needy and reach out to us, but we wouldn't do that for them or any, any congregant or um, things like that, it can subconsciously either communicate to them or we can develop this subconscious where we are always the hero. Like, we will always pray for you, but we will never need prayer from you, right? And so either way that goes, it's not going to... Um, it's not going to get this, this ball rolling unless we do that. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to require vulnerability. It's going to be very awkward. Um, you're putting yourself at risk to get rejected or hurt if you're vulnerable with people. And, you know, you might even be at risk for gossip. You might ask for prayer for the wrong person. And you can use wisdom in those things. But, but ultimately, the main takeaway here is that the Christian life is not a life of self-preservation, right? If we wanted to avoid those things and those vulnerabilities and being potentially gossiped or misthought of or thought less of than, you know, we ought to be thought, we could stay home. (laughs) You know, the Christian life is a life of self-sacrifice, not a life of self-preservation. And so sometimes our wisdom, like, that we use of how we approach others would have kept Jesus in heaven. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes I think if Jesus, and I'm talking to myself, if Jesus used our wisdom in how we approach people sometimes, he probably would have just stayed in heaven and he never would have came to us. And he never would have been reviled and slandered by men for, for the sake of the glory of God, right? And yet, you know, the wisdom of God is the foolishness of man. You know, the, the culture of the kingdom of God is other than the world. I was talking about somebody, or I was talking about this with somebody uh, this week, that this is really difficult, this book, um, and just establishing, like, a kingdom of God culture, because lots of times when we want to, like, establish a new culture in church or something like that, you use, you use a frame of reference of a culture that already exists out there that you find admirable. So I want to be like that culture. I want to be like that culture. And the thing about the culture of the kingdom of God is it's not of this world. It's not like any of those cultures. It's totally new. It's very unique from anything we've ever experienced. It's very uncomfortable. It requires a lot of dying to self. And so the big takeaway from this was I'd really encourage you, and I'm really encouraging myself to, to just... Really be intentional to really think of people who you wouldn't normally ask for prayer and do just that. Because the rest of this book, like, there is parts in this book about how you approach others and how you pray for others and things like that. But that's almost pointless if they never see us needing that. Because, again, it develops um, a hero, needy uh, dynamic. And, yeah, so we, we want to all be needy because ultimately the hero is Jesus Christ, right? And to be vulnerable with each other is only just an admission that Jesus is, is the hero. So those are my concluding thoughts um, from last week. This week we've got a lot to get through, so it might not be as interactive because I do want to leave fair time for questions. Uh, we're going through two chapters, so uh, moving towards others, chapter two, and knowing the heart, chapter three. And I just combined them into one lesson called Approaching with Grace. So we're going to get right into it. So last time we talked about needing others, and this time we're going to talk about approaching others and how to do that and things like that. So your first header there is, I think, Jesus pursues, we pursue. So why would we approach others? What's the biblical basis for approaching others? Well, in Scripture, God is always the one taking the initiative. So, you know, Ezekiel 34, 11, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. Or think of, like, Hosea's love for Gomer, you know? Like, even if that person didn't deserve it, Keep seeking them out. Keep seeking them out. Take the initiative. Jesus leaves the 99 uh, to find the one. Jesus left heaven to bleed on a bloody cross for you and me. So God's always taking the initiative to move towards us in our helplessness. So if we want to be like Christ, we need to to take some initiative in moving towards others as well. You know, 
One of the biggest things that God's grace is, is his moving towards us through what he has done in Jesus. God always makes the first move. Like, even go back to Genesis chapter 3, Adam's hiding, and who makes the first move? God, where are you, Adam? Where are you, right? So ever since the beginning, God's been approaching us first. So to mirror that, we want to move towards others. That's the foundation for this. So, um, when we move towards others, and like I said, when we're being vulnerable to them, a lot of times they might not even care that we're reaching out to them, and we might really put ourselves out there, um, and the people who love most, and the people who approach most in love, they're the most vulnerable people, and that's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be rejected. Um, It's going to feel and seem silly sometimes, and hurt us sometimes, but but that didn't stop Jesus from moving towards us, right? And so the goal here is, here's a quote directly from the book. I couldn't have said it better, so I'll just read what Ed Welsh says. Imagine this. You believe that Jesus pursues you. You are letting go of old lies that suggest he doesn't care and that you're forgotten. Because of Jesus, you no longer look um, for the easiest person to talk to when people gather. Instead, you move towards the quieter ones, the new person, the outliers. Imagine a group of people who move toward each other, active more than passive, loving more than fearing rejection. They look glorious. They attract the world. This is an example of what the Apostle Paul calls putting on Christ and is evidence of the Spirit of Christ at work within us. So that is the goal, and I'm not naive to think enough that this Sunday school is going to be some revolutionary thing, but just a piece in getting us to think about Uh, how we approach the culture of our church and how we act and and how we form this goal and this vision in our community. So we want to approach others and we want to approach them with grace. So here's here's some pointers, practical pointers, the way that Jesus approaches people and that we can mirror in how we approach people. So the Lord calls us family. Um, Lots of times in the Gospels, Jesus will call people son or daughter. So the Lord calls people family. So when we greet people, we greet them warmly. We greet them like family, like the Lord does. Another pointer is, if you approach somebody, the Lord knows our name. You know, the scripture says, I know your name. And so we learn somebody's name. It's an obvious one, but I was especially convicted when reading this because I usually do not remember people's names, and I need to have a category for that in my head. So the Lord learns our names, so we need to learn other people's names. Practical, but difficult for some of us. The Lord knows the seemingly irrelevant details of our life. You know, he knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows irrelevant things about us that seem unimportant. So when we approach people, just start with getting to know things about them that probably aren't important. You know, take interest in their details. Are they, are they new to their gathering? Uh, where do they live? Where do they go to school? Do they live with somebody? You know, what do you enjoy? What are some of your hobbies? So these are just some of the ways that the Lord approaches us. Um, that should mirror how we approach others when moving towards them. And lots of times, like I said, some people are pretty closed off. It'll take a while to get to the center. And some people will just open right up. And what you hear is probably going to surprise you sometimes. And when, when we're doing this, you don't want to just collect information or just collect data from people. Um, you want to actually like indicate that you are moved by that data. You want to indicate that you're interacting, that you care what they're saying, you know, so not just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and now you store the data, whatever. Like, you want to be moved by that data. You want to actually grow to like the person, and you can actually do that. You can actually grow 
develop a love in your heart for people. You know, you can find the good usually. We're going to get into that later. Um, so, you know, what we want to communicate here is there's more to you than meets the eye. You know, we don't want to communicate to people that we've got them figured out or something like that. We want them to know that we're interested in them and we want to learn more. You know, we want to communicate, I want to know you, but how do I know you? You know, Proverbs 25 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of, under, a man of understanding will draw it out. So we want to be understanding people who know how to draw out the heart of people when we're approaching them, when we're communicating with them, so that these conversations don't just stay superficial. So we actually get somewhere in the well and start drawing out water, right? And to do that, we need to know the heart. So, okay, I'll do this now. I think it'll help us. Think of the heart as having like three layers. So the outside layer is um, natural desires. The second layer is moral. That's not a conclusive term, but that, that's good for now. Moral desires. And the inward of the heart is either moving towards or away from God at all times. So lots of times your conversation is going to start here. And it's going to take some trust and some effort on your part to get to here. But really what we want is this, right? Um, this is all about Christ and bringing people to Christ with us. So, so really, these things are just an indicator eventually of this. And these are important. Like I said, you want to be moved by these things and take interest in them. But we're trying to get here. So uh, I'll leave that up there for now. So one example of how you might do this is... When you ask somebody, how are you, they might start telling you the day's events, you know, uh, how the day went, um, things that happened that day. And that's in this realm of natural desires, if the heart is made of three realms of desires. So you'll get to know people's natural desires in that. Oh, I went fishing with my brother and that was really fun. Okay, he enjoys fishing with his brother. That's a natural desire, right? And that's a little bit superficial, but it's a starting place, right? And it can be an indicator of other things. And, but ultimately, we don't want to just know events. We don't want to just know how their day went or what happened. We want to know the heart of the matter. We want to know the heart of the person. So wanting to know more than events, one practical tip, lots of times when we ask people, how are you? And I probably did this five times this morning. We walk by, and we don't even make eye contact, and we say, like, how are you? In a way that just implies, just say good and walk. <laughs> you know, we don't actually leave people space to answer. So... One good way to start getting here is when you say, how are you, actually be in a context where you have time to look at the person in the eyes and wait for them to say something, you know, not, and I'm not saying that it's sin to keep using the how are you greeting. It's just a cultural baked into us Canadian greeting, and that's not wrong, but we want to have times where we say that and we actually mean it. So the person has a context, so they have freedom to get past this and start, start moving towards this. So, you know, one practical tip, just say, how are you? And just look at them in the eyes, and it might be awkward, and wait for them to start telling you how they are, right? And lots of times, um, this will stay superficial for a few conversations, and that's okay. But like I said, we want to cut past events and, and facts and get to the heart. So, we have this natural layer, so that's things like experiences and things they have done and natural desires, 
And then so we have this moral layer, and that's kind of like um, a question like, how is your heart doing in this, right? Um, It's not quite so deep as just, you know, these are very connected. These two could almost be the same layer, but I think there's help in separating them. So we want to be able to ask people eventually in our conversation, how was your heart in that? Or you said this happened with your brother, and then you guys didn't talk for a while. What was your heart doing um, when that happened, right? their moral desires. So we, when we're understanding a person, we have to work backwards. We have to understand natural, then moral, then Godward desires. But in a person, this works itself out backwards from how we understand it. So if their heart is moving towards God, that will manifest in this realm, and that will manifest in this realm. So if their heart's moving towards God, in the moral realm, well, my brother did offend me this week, but I did forgive him immediately which will manifest in the natural realm, and I still want to go fishing with my brother next week, even though he said that really rude thing, right? But if the person's heart is moving away from God, um, they might say, well, my, my brother said this awful thing to me last week, and he's such a, I can't believe he said that to me. This person's heart is moving away from God in that circumstance, right? And so morally, there's unforgiveness there, which manifests in, yeah, I'm never going fishing with my brother again. So this is working itself out backwards from how we understand it, but we can only understand it backwards. We can't start here. We have to, we have to use conversations and just you know, open, vulnerable, genuinely listening conversations to get here and understand this. And I want to point out, this is, this is not just a tool for us to do surgery on other people, right? Um, understanding these things about ourselves, we want to be open to other people in the same way we want them to be open to us. So also while we're doing this, be thinking about, okay, How can I make it less difficult for people to get to my heart? We don't want to be closed off and think, they don't have access to my heart, but I want to get to the the center of theirs. You know, the body of Christ should have access to each other's hearts, or else it's just, we stay in this realm and it's superficial, and we can't do what we need to do as the church. Um, Also, I know I said we have a lot to go through, but if anybody does have questions or clarifiers, like, don't even raise your hand, just yell it out, and I will work around that. That's totally fine. So, ultimately, we're going, going towards this layer. You know, this is about bringing people to Jesus. And to do that, we need a sense of whether somebody's heart is moving towards Christ or away from Christ. And sometimes that takes longer. Sometimes that takes shorter. But it won't happen at all if we don't move towards others. And if we don't put ourselves out there to be rejected um, or show care for others. And then they don't really care that we showed care for them. I mean... There's, there's this old saying, and it's, it's really silly. I really don't like it. There's a very, very small ring of truth to it. A, a lot of people used to say, I don't know if you guys heard this, Jesus came to earth and died on a cross knowing that people might never accept what he did. He took that risk. Okay, well, that's kind of silly because it was not a risk. He knew exactly who his people were, who he was ransoming on the cross. But there is a small truth to it that Jesus came and served people knowing that sometimes he would be rejected or that he would show love to people who just didn't care and they said, oh, okay, thanks, Jesus. You know, and we want to have the heart of Christ in that um, where it won't affect us so much if people aren't as responsive to our showing love towards them as we'd like them to be. So it might look like we care way more than they care and that's not to your discredit, that's to their discredit. So put yourself out there. So the third... I should have been telling you guys where we are in your headings. We're already at the know and enjoy section, by the way. (laughs) So 
Once you start getting to know people, here's some practical tips um, Ed Welch gives us for just enjoying the person and not making them a project. One thing we really want to shy away from is making people projects. And this can turn into that so easily. Like you could very easily use this as a tool to just dis dissect everybody um, and never put yourself out to be dissected or things like that. And so some preventative measures here, um, he, he gives us four. So one, we already talked about a lot, ask how are you, you know, get to know the joys and the pain, actually mean it. And don't ask in a priestly way. You know, there's some guys who just, um, it's almost like you can't just be friends with them. They always have to be like, no, but how are you really doing? You know, and it's like, oh man, like, <laughs> are we that far along in this relationship? And, and that's, that says something about us too, that maybe we should always just be able to tell people how we're really doing, right? Um, so we don't want to be asking, how are you in a priestly way? Like, no, I'm your, I'm your spiritual superior and you owe it to me to tell me how you're doing. Like, there's something back there and you're going to, you know, we don't want to ask this in a priestly way. If somebody's good, that's okay, you know. Sometimes there's no nefarious intent to, to fish out of them and praise God, it's just going good. If someone's not good and they're a little closed off to, to tell you yet, keep chiseling away at these, you know, and pray for that person and, and try and be a light to that person. So don't ask in a priestly way, but do ask, how are you? Number two, enjoy the good. You know, so we search for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5. Train your mind to actively look for the fruits of the Spirit in somebody's life. And ideally, if you get to the point where you're at this layer with somebody, and you're having really deep conversations and counseling them or walking them through some troubled waters, ideally before you get here, you want to have already recognized a lot of good in them right? So if somebody's telling you about a hard situation and you can see a million ways that they botched that situation or whatever, try and notice some good things like, man, they, they really botched that. Um, they need to forgive their brother for what he said on the fishing trip, but it was good that he was patient and didn't reply to his brother's rude comment, right? So actively look for good things in people, you know, notice and point out when they're like Jesus and actually just you can do this. I know a lot of people and a lot of solid Christians say you really can't train your heart like this. Unless my psychology is really messed up, I think we can because I have been able to, to make myself do this. You can help yourself like the person if you don't like them at first by finding the good in them, finding the fruits of the Spirit in them and thanking Jesus for that and taking time to think on that so you don't get an unrealistic you know, one-dimensional view of this person just from the problems they've given you. Is this making sense? Okay, okay, just making sure. So learn to like the person. You know, you don't, you don't always have to dish out tough love. You can just like the person and be friendly with them while you get to these layers. So, again, ideally you establish this more healthy frame of mind towards people before you're getting to the tougher stuff. Um, it doesn't always happen that way, but, but give that effort. Three, have compassion when there's trouble. You know, John 16, 33, uh, in this world you will have trouble. There's going to be trouble in people's lives. Uh, not everyone's going to open up about that, but if you move towards others, you are going to find trouble. You don't always have to fix that trouble right away, right? I, I did say that we are trying to bring people's hearts towards God with us. Um, 
you're not the only tool in that person's life to do that. God has other tools besides you, besides me, besides us. And yet, you still want to be a tool in that. So you want to have a balance of not always being the person to fix everything. Sometimes seriously just have compassion and listen and be friendly. And yet, as you move to deeper and and deeper levels with whoever you're starting to approach, um, you, you do eventually want to start moving that person's heart Well, you can't, only God can, but you do want to, in prayer, start trying to direct that person's heart Godward as much as you can in the relationship. But you're not going to get there if you don't have compassion when there's trouble. You're going to shut somebody down. You know, um, okay, here's an example. One time, this is kind of reverse because the person who was needy approached um, approached the person who they were talking to. So this person didn't seek him out, but... I'll keep this very, very um, vague. It didn't happen in Nippon anyway, but some, one Christian approached another Christian, and I was just hanging out with them, and they said, you know what? This weekend, I'm really struggling with this. Like, this role is really difficult for me. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing this weekend. Um, I wish I was doing something else, kind of. That was a perfect opportunity. You know, by then, you're, you're right on the verge of hearing here. That was a perfect opportunity to start moving towards the heart, to be compassionate, to seek the good in somebody, to listen, right, and to just be friendly. And the other Christian replied to them, well, I think you just need to be more thankful in, this, in, this, in the season that you're in. And I heard that, and I was like, no, you know, that person's never going to ask you for anything again, and now they feel like they're a second-rate Christian for having this struggle, you know? That was a great opportunity to ask them, well, why are you struggling with this? Like, there might have been a gold mine under there that they might have just opened right up to you. And I'm sure we've all done things like that, but I think that's a helpful example of um, have compassion where there's trouble. Don't always try and fix it, and yet don't shy away of prayerfully pointing that person towards Jesus eventually, which gets us into step four. Talk about Jesus and his love. So as you get deeper and deeper in, in these layers, um, you know, peeling the onion back of the person, Sorry for calling you onions. Um, As you get deeper and deeper here, though, you're going to find a mix in these people's heart of true trust for Jesus. You will see troubles in their lives where they are depending on the Lord. And you're going to find that they have trust in self that they might not even be aware of, right? You're going to see this person really needs to depend on the Lord in this or this. And they really think too much of themselves here. Or they they think they need to do this on their own and they really can't and they shouldn't. So you're going to find a mix of trust in Jesus and trust in self. Sometimes it is good to explicitly say, you need to stop trusting yourself here and look to Jesus. Actually, very often, that's a good thing to say. We need to say that. Sometimes we don't need to point it out like that. Like, that's true. They need to stop trusting themselves there and look to Jesus. But just to be practical about the language we're using to keep them open and and to really help them, You might not always need to explicitly point out, hey, you're trusting self, look at the gospel. Sometimes just use those moments to just talk about Jesus an unusual amount, you know? So if you notice a point where Jesus, or where somebody's not trusting Jesus enough, just start talking about how Jesus can help them there, about how Jesus is enough there. Uh, Pray that they would know Jesus better, right? Um, You know, again, that is the goal here. So this is all about bringing people's hearts towards Christ with us. Um, so we want to notice where they need to start going after Christ and help them get there without making them feel rebuked or making them feel, you know, naked or like we're reading them so much or something like that, right? 
And like I said, remember, this has to go both ways. This is not a toolkit for playing surgery on everybody else because you're wise enough to use this and everybody else needs you to do this to them, right? I mean, the Spirit has given us wisdom to understand the heart and to get there. And he's given that person wisdom to understand and get to your heart. This has to be reciprocal. This has to go both ways. And, and these two chapters that we're talking about today, I really believe that these have to happen on the heels of chapter one. You know, where we induce a culture where it's okay to ask for prayer. Where you see the most spiritually mature and upright people in the congregation asking some of the least people for prayer. You know, because we'll be hesitant to do that, but it's a good thing that the weakest saint that we ask for prayer, it's a good thing that they don't have to answer the prayer to, right? Just think about the nature of prayer. All of us are just beggars asking for God to, to do a miracle in our lives of whether that's forgiveness or repentance or anything, you know, the smallest things are miracles in the life of the saint. And so this has to go both ways and it has to start with us being openly needy and vulnerable or else, or else this step and this stuff can never happen. And we're skipping ahead and we're trying to get things out of other people that we wouldn't give to other people. Um, and that's not okay in the body of Christ, you know? It's a different culture. It's, it's, it's different than the world, but it's, it's really good. It's really, really rewarding. So we're going to move on to discussion and response time. Um, 15 minutes, I think, is a pretty good amount of time. I'm just going to read the uh, questions for the people online and then we'll get right into it. We'll go... Um, Everybody here, you can be a group. And maybe Brad and Christine, if you want to join this group for equal distribution. And then everybody in front of Brad and Christina up to Vince and Zane and McKenna. And everybody this way, you can stay in the center. And then everybody here, go this way. And I'll join one of the groups. And again, um, whoever's uh, greeting doors and stuff like that, just be mindful of when it's quarter after and just go to the door. It's not rude if somebody's talking and you get up and you have to go. I'll eventually get up and go. So first I'll just read the questions uh, for the people listening. One, have you ever been pursued by someone who took a genuine interest in your life? How did that person do it? How was it encouraging to you? Two, why might you be reluctant to move towards others? Three, how do you hope to make the first move this week? Four, how can you make your own heart approachable and grant others access to our hearts instead of being closed off? Gospel vulnerability is the goal here. So that is the questions, and we are going to get to that now.